Hello everyone and welcome to the Early Stages podcast by APX. My name is Søren and on this podcast we guide you through everything you as an aspiring founder or newly started business need to know about the first steps towards building a successful company. Each episode focuses on one specific topic that can help you as an entrepreneur on your way to success. Today's episode is about being the boss of your startup and how to be a conscious leader. Let's get started. So when you start a new company, it's typically in the beginning just you and a few co-founders and everything revolves around what you're building, your product and your idea. But as your startup grows, so will your team and your team will need some guidance. So how do you then grow into the role of being a leader for them and what does that mean for your own role? Today, I am joined by a great panel to discuss conscious leadership uh, when you're a new founder. First off, we have Sven Mulfinger, co-founder of Dana. Welcome. Thank you very much, Soren, for inviting me. I'm, I'm very happy to be there. And Sven, Dana is building a digital health solution to improve the mental health and, and well-being of women becoming mothers. Can you tell us a little bit about when you started working on Dana and what is the, the current status of the company? So the idea came when I was a general manager of uh, a Bettelsmann uh, company. And I thought, how could we improve the well-being of uh, the future generations? That's why we decided to say, okay, let's start a, a venture which is dedicated to the mental health and the well-being of women during motherhood. That's very interesting. And, and I would love to hear a little bit more about your experience with, with leadership specifically when you're a startup, because I also know, Sven, that you have started more than one company. But first, I also want to introduce our second panelist, business coach Philip Horvath, who is an expert on, on conscious leadership and the topics around it. Welcome, Philip. Thank you, Sanku, and thank you for inviting me to you know, such an important topic. And thank you for actually providing that to your startups as well, because I think leadership is a key and actually especially in that early stage growth. So do we. And, and Philip, we're talking leadership today and, and, and being a leader. And I think it would be helpful if you first could maybe define for us, what does it mean to be a leader and how is being a leader different from being the manager or, or a boss? The thing about boss, that sort of means you're in charge of organizing a venture. And for that, there's actually two sides. There's management and there's leadership. Management is about actually setting direction and distributing work and tasks And leadership is about people and creating a culture and how you actually fulfill on those tasks. Right? So there's essentially these two aspects. And really understanding that separation to begin with is very helpful. To really understand that managing is really about saying, hey, where are we going together? What are we committed to? What are we agreeing to? How do we split that up? And who's on first for what? And who's in ownership of what? And how are we accountable for each other around that? And then how we do that. Right, of whether that's a horrible place to work or whether it's a fun place to work, right, that depends on the culture and the leadership. And here it's really important to develop people and really first and foremost yourself, right, and really starting with leadership, understanding that that starts with self-leadership. And I know, Philip, that you've you've coached many leaders and, and aspiring leaders also and on very different levels. Uh, on this podcast, we talk mainly about startups at the very early stages. But can you share what are some of the typical challenges people face when they step into the role of being a leader for the first time? In an early stage, when you think about it, everybody does everything, right? It's all hands on deck and you're all doing it together, right? And then as to actually make processes repeatable as a startup, right? That first stage of actually seeing here's a customer, here's a connection with them, here's a thing we can actually sell them, deliver something, right? As they make those processes repeatable, that now means you actually have to separate who's doing what. 
right? But this is really the, the challenge. If you think about it, I always, when I talk to young leaders, I say, start with your exit strategy. And they look at me like, what do you mean? I'm just building my, my business here. And I say, just think about who you want to be at the end. Because ideally, if you build an actual business, you don't have to be there. So how can you build it like that from the get-go? Well, so that actually that letting go of tasks and really separating who you are from the things that you need to get done. And also with, you know, understanding of how are you doing things and how you're taking care of yourself and how you supporting each other in being your best versions and how you show up around, you know, actually fulfilling those tasks, right? And so you have to really be challenged as most people have never had that experience, right? And they kind of either get lost in too much management and then it becomes sort of very fascist nearly, you know, because it just becomes about execution all the time or it becomes all about culture and then you don't get stuff done. Right? So finding that mix between the two and actually learning how to sort of externalize yourself as a founder so that it's not about you, but the, the roles you play there that ultimately can also be taken over by someone else. Right? And so that's a really, I find that's often a challenge. From your experience with, uh, with Dana, uh, Sven, do you recognize some of these things uh, Philip mentions from, from your journey? You, you started the company back in, in 2020, in September, right? But do you recognize some of these things? What Philip said is totally true. It's really difficult to balance the difference between management and leadership. And within management, you have different management styles, the one that you do naturally and the, the other one you have to, have to learn. And with leadership, it's almost a little bit the same. So there's your natural style, which you always think is the best one because it's your experience and then suddenly you, you find out that there are other leadership styles that can be extremely interesting I think one of the things I saw it was uh, an article of the Howard Business Review that was talking about the different types of culture and they say wow we can have an alignment if we want to have a learning or purpose driven culture or results or authority culture or safety and order culture and this is helping us to define who do we want to be and how do we want to work. Then there's culture is extremely important because if you have the alignment, then you can have a high effective team. You don't have to extinguish fire all the time and you can uh, you can live a better life and have having better results. But basically in talking about the conscious leadership, one of the first rule is heal yourself before healing others. Don't come there and say that you are the God and that you will know everything. So that's a rule that I always try to say, okay, Try to think what is happening to me, what's in my mind, how did I react, did I reflect, and from that on, try to see if we can expand it to the rest of the team, and from there, expand it to the rest of the world. Philip Sven is obviously talking from uh, years of experience here. From from your point of view, do you agree with his uh, his points? Also, having having coached and worked with uh, a lot of leaders in in your career. In the end, it's always in the end experience, right? Like smart, like you've done something stupid before, and that's where we really learn, right? And I think that, and I love that you mentioned leadership styles. And I think one of the challenges here is, like you said, we have a default style that we kind of naturally resonate with. But as a founder, you're going to have to find all these different hats as well, right? And sometimes you have to be the results-driven guy and make sure that shit gets done. And sometimes you have to be the, the person who is the entertainer and says, isn't this cool, guys? Right? And be the cheerleader, pioneer kind of person, right? Sometimes you have to be the integrator and be like, hey, is everybody getting along? Is everybody happy right now? Right? And sometimes you just have to be the guy that says, good guys, we need to tick our boxes here. We need to follow process, right? And you have to be that person too. So you have to find also that you actually get to style flex, right? You get to be everything in some ways and, and learn what's appropriate in which moment, right? Because we can't just run, you know, do this one thing and do this thing all the time because situations change, people change, right? And this goes a little, then a little bit into that topic of culture because culture is in the end sort of an interference pattern or happens in the overlap of how individuals show up, 
right? And if you have a new team and a new startup and a new venture, you're going to have new people. And each one of them, in some ways, is now helping to define the culture of your startup. And this is why it's so important to be, especially at the beginning, very conscious of, of hiring for f cultural fit and not just, hey, this is my buddy or this is my friend or I like this person, but really bring somebody in that A, has the potential to take over aspects of your work from a management perspective and B, fits with a culture because now that you're scaling, you're going to scale the culture. And if there's some toxicity in there, and I've seen it again and again with startups where someone hires their friend and they're a cool guy, but they're not really fitting into the organizational culture, And as the startup grows, then that toxicity just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and becomes this underlying, you know, ultimately darkness that in the end kills the startup. And so it's really important at the beginning to be very conscious of how you set up your culture and conscious leadership. And for me, conscious leadership, we have a model where we say it's in the process of awareness, responsibility and ownership. Right? You're constantly expanding what you're aware of right? and then you get to choose what you take responsibility for and ultimately becoming more ownership of your life, of your relationships, of your startup, of everything around you. Right? And as a founder, you can delegate awareness responsibility, but you'll never be able to really delegate ownership. Right? Because in the end, if this thing works, that's to, up to you, right? because it's your baby. Right? And so that's very interesting to find out what can I and what can't I delegate. I would imagine for a first-time founder, this idea of delegating elements of your startup feels more seriously like giving parts away of your baby. Could you share a little bit about why is this so difficult for founders to let go after having, I mean, they've did everything in the beginning. They, they give, they give uh, their heart and, and, and soul to, to get something off the ground. And, and then this delegation topic comes in. Why is it so difficult and, and how do you deal with it? Because you have to, in a way, integrate the paradox of it being extremely personal and it being extremely non-personal, right? Because I always, you know, when I work with innovation too, I always say fall in love with the problem, not your solution, right? And it's a little bit like that there too, right? Instead of falling in love with your idea of how your startup's supposed to be, really keep anchored in the original purpose, keep anchored in what you're trying to solve in the world, right? And I worked a lot with the movie industry and I always thought it was such an interesting example because here's someone that has a vision for a movie, Right? But in order to actually make that movie, there's so many people involved and along the lines who all bring their own creativity to it. Right? And you want them to bring their creativity to it. And in some ways, the end result looks very, very different from what you had in mind originally. And the, the challenge here is like, how do I maintain the vision while letting go of it? And so I think this is really that, that thing for founders to remember is that this is your baby, but stay focused on what you're solving in the world, the big picture, the stuff that's even beyond yourself, right? I love this notion of cathedral project, right? Like, what are you really supporting in the world that might not even get done in your lifetime, right? What is it really the big picture that you're pushing? Right? And then it's also easier to detach from, the, from it personally and let actually other people bring their genius to it. Can you be friends with your coworkers, and how, how would you say your relationship with coworkers should be when you're the leader? I have a big problem now because I'm 50 <laughs> and my mind is still uh, like if I was 20 or 30. Uh, when we used to uh, launch uh, startups uh, 20 years ago, it was like work hard, party hard. We just get together, we just do 50, 60 hours and then we party all night. We sleep three hours and then when the launching date is there, it's launched and it works and we're going to the party and then we walk again. 
it's not working like this. And, and besides that, with 50, they're not letting me in the discotheques anymore. So I have to reinvent the way I, I, I can interact with uh, the younger generations. So of course, there are things we can do together. Um, but I think it's more limited that if you have the, the, the same type of age. So basically, we do uh, barbecues. We do a lot of parties. I always tried to invest a lot in, uh, in off-site meeting two days, three days off, team building, understand the other, uh, because this is giving a lot of energy for a lot of months. And what I saw is other leaders see this as um, recompense, as um, when you're doing something good and you get then uh, a gift. For me, it's not a gift, it's an investment. And sometimes we have a difference between uh, ourselves and the team. Say, where do we invest in someone so he's gaining more knowledge and skills and he's more motivated to reach the target? And when is it the moment to say, once you reach a target, you'll be rewarded with education and motivation? Sometimes we have to find the right middle there. But I'm curious to see what the Philip, what do you think about? When, when is the reward and when is the investment? Well, actually, I, mean, I love what you said because I think it's either investing in strategy or investing in culture and both is required. If you want to actually build a company where there's a sense of belonging and a sense of uh, part, being part of something bigger than yourself, then you need to create opportunities for people to get together. You need to create opportunities for people to learn together, to grow together, right? And to understand that we're all always in a process of learning together. Right, and that creating, especially also that psychological safety of inclusion. I belong to this group. I'm part of this group. I'm being valued by this group. I can try things out here. Right, you do you don't get that in your daily just check, 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 check kind of Zoom meetings. Right, you need to actually create opportunities for that. So I think I love what you said, and I think it's absolutely an investment and in is understanding that it's not an either or of strategy or culture. It's a yes and. Just like it's purpose and profit, it's a yes and. It's not an either or. Right, so you have to have both. If your purpose is only to make money, you, you have a small purpose problem. You know what I mean? You actually need to have something bigger because both your employees as well as your customers, they want to see more from you than just make money. Right? That's not sufficient anymore. And so I think that's where in those offsites, in those learning opportunities, that's where you can literally cultivate who you want to become and who you want to be. And culture comes from agriculture for good reason. Right? And just like a garden needs to be tended to, your team and your company needs to be tended to as well. Right? And so I think it's an absolutely necessary and crucial investment because for me, entrepreneurship is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Yeah, and I, I can also say you're, you're not the first one to have said that on, on any of the topics we've talked about. I think that's a good one to constantly come back to when you're, when you're a founder. Sven, you talked about investing in the offsides, being together with people. You're obviously not doing this, as I understand you, to be friends, but to understand each other better and to rally around a certain purpose. And you've given clear examples of how you're, how you're doing this. I think one thing that I still think about is from a leader point of view, like how do you do this to a point where people feel, and that might be a broad question, right? But motivated and, and taken on board rather than being told this is how to feel, this is how to be, you know, where to the point where at some point people will say, are we becoming a cult of some sort, right? How do you prevent that? It's a difficult question because uh, when I manage teams, I was responsible for a Spanish team, uh, uh, Italian and French team, and they were reacting a different way. So uh, again, by using the same management, uh, the leadership uh, ideas, uh, you already have to change all the time to the people. So what I found out is I just invest in people. 
if they like it or if, if there's any reward for me it's the same i think it's important to invest in the, in the education of the uh, of the team uh, it's also important for the culture we were talking about different cultural style it's very subtle but we're using a, an agile uh, mantra which is good enough for now safe enough to try and this good enough for now, safe enough to try, is not, it has to be perfect. So it's an idea of which type of culture we want to work with. Or for example, the idea of, of failure. If the culture is, we need to do money, if you lose the customer, then it's your fault. Then there's a pressure, on, uh, and that may bring to mistakes or not. Sometimes it's very good, but it's not the thing that we want for a company because we want to have a constant learning effect. So for us, there is no failure just learning. If there's a failure, we all go together and see, okay, why came this mistake? And most of the time, it's because the company didn't set the rule right, not because the employee did a mistake. Of course, it's not the same thing if you repeat two or three times the same mistake, then you have a problem with the, uh, with the team member. But um, the idea there is try to invest as much as we can and uh, with the team and then see the mag magic happen. I loved when you said cult. Right, because really a strong culture is like a cult, but right? I always like to say cult, sure, right? I mean, in the end, you want to have that kind of coherence and strength in your bonds. But what makes really the, the what makes a cult a cult is A, exclusion, right? When you begin to exclude others and you have that idea that you're special and they're not, right? That becomes an issue. And when it's static, and that's what I loved about what Sven said to a moment ago, that it has to keep evolving, you keep working your culture. It's not something that's static and that once it is that thing, then it has to be that way, right? Because then it becomes a cult very quickly and it actually becomes kind of uh, static and it becomes stale, right? It becomes stale and actually is not attuned with the moment anymore. Cults of bureaucracy and cults of how we've always done things around here, right? And they're not able to actually go with the time, right? And so I think that fluidity and that willingness to continue to question yourself as a company, as a team, as an individual, is key, right? That we understand that we're not never done with learning because we don't live in a complicated world, we live in a complex world where things continue to change, which requires continuous adaptation, co continuous attunement to what is actually appropriate. And so I think it's also important to know that the culture you have at the beginning of your startup is not going to be the culture you have five years later if you grow. Right? Because you might have, at the beginning, those late night and pizza parties and things, and you're all friends and best friends, and it's awesome. And at some point, you have 100 people in your organization or 150, and you reach your Dunbar number, you don't even know all those people anymore. right? So it's not, you know, the culture has to then also change, and then it's just a matter of what are, you, what are your key orientations, what are the key values you're orienting yourself around, what the, what's the purpose and the problem that you're orienting yourself around. Right? And that can stay the same. One thing I would like to add there, it's extremely interesting to ask the team members what they feel uh, about the culture, about the management. So uh, in the large organization, there are these uh, best place to work or culture questionnaires, but they're very good. So if you do it in a political way, uh, when the team start growing over 10, 20, 30, 40 people, it's very interesting because it gives you the possibility to reflect as a manager and as a leader, what things I do, how do they come, how they are they accepted or not? What can I do to improve? And this is where, for example, we found out that there's something which is incredible today is boring two years after. 
So, for example, we had like a, at the at the door at the openings, we had like a two uh, buttons, a red one and a green one. And every day when the team workers went out of the office, they had to push. I had a bad day, red. I had a good day, green. It's easy, but it gives you a lot of information. And you, we knew just by looking at the graph of the year when somebody was fired, when we had a problem with a customer, when we had a problem with uh, the hot water. Uh, so, and it worked for one or two years. But then people get got bored and didn't use it anymore. So we had to reinvent something different. It's like every one or two years, check the organization, something new, uh, so we can all get excited again about uh, about something that is touching everyone in the in the team. And I mean, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying, both of you, with regards to talking to people. And I think the thing that you are both then hinting to or, or addressing as well, like then you also have to listen. You have to listen to what people are saying and make changes, like you just said, uh, Sven. Maybe a last question for you both. What are, in your opinion, some of the classic mistakes that you can you see uh, new leaders make? And by new leaders, I mean startup founders who go through the, the, the stages of, of starting their own company and, and become leaders for, for the first time i think the key is not to get lost in the outside right because as you grow there's more and more external demands on you whether it's from investors or even the public or the employees and everything and as a leader keep finding your center keep finding who you really are where your feet are on the ground what's important to you what's your vision that you're trying to create in the world and to continue to center yourself there so that you don't get lost in all the external demands, right? Because at some point, otherwise, you'll quickly burn yourself out if you continuously try and figure out who to be for whom, right? And in which situation and constantly running after other people's expectations, you'll go nuts. You know what I mean? So stay centered, find ways, whatever rituals work for you. I mean, whether it's going running or meditating or punching your back, it doesn't matter, but find rituals that work for you that get you backgrounded into your vision, into your, your center, into who you want to be and how you want to be and how you want to show up as a leader. And I think as long as you do that, um, at least you have a good winning chance there. Yeah, I totally agree, Philip. That's a very good point. I think I, I once I went to a, a big presentation of a huge company that was exp explaining all their experiences. And then he said, yeah, the, the finance, the chief finance officer, he died from a heart attack on the second year of the company. And you say, well, This is not exactly the example I would like to follow in my life. So just by taking time off, this is also where the, the biggest creativity is coming. When you're on the shower, when you're on vacation with the kids, when you're going out. So what I also found out is uh, it's a little bit more difficult that if you have an office job, if you start at nine and you finish you know, at six, you can work when you feel like. Usually you do a little bit more of work, but when you don't feel like you don't work. And uh, this is also interesting to see how we can organize the, the creativity and uh, manage the stress. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Philip. Take care of yourself, then take care of the team. And don't think that uh, you are the only one that uh, is entitled or has the, uh, the the brightest idea on earth for your company. <laughs> I like this element of how you're both addressing how it's so much about yourself uh, more than focusing I mean, at least only on the others when it comes to uh, to like, what kind of leader you want to be. And as Sven, I would at least say to to some of the companies that we see as, as, as APX, where many of them are founders who are in their uh, late or even early 20s, like this notion of working when they feel like it balanced out with like, having to, to push, push, push is, is not an easy one to balance, right? Because there are also investors breathing down your neck, expecting to see results and, and you're managing this for the first time. But I think you've both made some, some really valuable points here that we can, we can share with these founders, Sven. 
again, I'm talking about my own experience where uh, working 50 hours or 60 hours is something quite natural. So taking a days off, it's like, well, okay, if you work less and if you're not focused, of course, then do you have another problem, which is like how to put the right energy uh, to get to the milestones that are weighted not only from the investors, but also for the company growth and uh, how are we going to survive? So, of course, when we have to push the hours, we push the hours No. Extreme performance requires extreme self-care. It's just like in the in the airplane, put your oxygen mask on first, right? And the whole point of like before you can take care of others, make sure you take care of yourself, right? And so start there and to do that, under promise over deliver. I think that's another thing for young founders in particular that try and promise God in the world to their investors and under promise over deliver, know it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Right, and really set yourself up for success, resource yourself, create the self-care mechanisms and the support that you need as a, as, a, as a startup founder so that you can actually be there in the long haul. All right, I think that's a good place to, to end. And I'm sure there are many things in here that will be inspirational for, for founders out there. So I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time to be here with uh, us today and sharing some of your insights and anecdotes, uh, Philipp Horvath and uh, Sven Mulfinger. Thank you again for the invitation. Thank you very much for the invitation. That's all for today. If you have feedback or topic ideas, send me an email at cern at apx.vc or comment on the episode on social media where we are at APX Berlin. The Early Stages is a podcast by APX produced by WakeWord. Thanks to you for listening. My name is Sora Nielsen and I will be back in two weeks time. We will end as always with a voice message we've received from one startup in the APX portfolio whom we've asked to share one thing they wish they would have known before they started their company. Here's what they said. Hi, my name is Virginia and I'm the co-founder of Imora. Imora is a platform in Germany which helps people to organize their funeral provision or funerals online and we take care of all the organization. And one thing I would have loved to know before we have started is how important it is to decide for the right stack and the right tools. So it really makes sense to take the time to test everything and to really understand the long-term requirements um, as the tools once onboarded are accompanying you for a long, long time. <laughs>